Welcome to Dear Dio, your resource for honest advice and realness from all things medical school to residency. I'm your host, Michael Garrison, and I'm a fourth-year osteopathic medical student uh, matching neurology this year, hopefully, and I'm accompanied by Dr. Howard Harrell, OBGYN, and MD. Wow, all these letters. And you've blown up since last I was on. Now you're super popular. I have... Over 17,000 likes on TikTok, so I think I've made it. (laughs) That's how I measure my self-esteem is by number of likes on TikTok. I have zero, though, so. Not as cool as me. Yeah, well, I know, right? I don't have an awesome podcast that everybody wants to listen to, so there you go. Uh, And yeah, when we were on before, you were just getting started, and now you've done some really great follow-up episodes, and hopefully listeners are getting a lot out of those. I don't know. I wanted to come back on and just to see how you're doing, and- Following you on social media and stuff is also an opportunity to see how people comment and a lot of people love what you're doing. And then there's always this thing. I have a lot of stuff on social media too and lots of exposures through different things. And there seems to always be trolls. There's always a bad egg. Doesn't matter what you do. And there's always some trolls. And so there's some trollish comments I've seen that frankly were kind of bothersome. Like, I mean, I know that's the nature of social media and anonymous people who have to share some opinion. They would never say it to you in polite company to your face. But what's some of the worst (laughs) trollish things you've seen so far? Okay, let me just get out my handy dandy cellular. I think that the one that got me was on my first post. So my first post was like, supposed to be the intentions behind it were inspirational you know, I had a 3-2 in undergrad, and here I am sitting with a 3-9 in med school. I'm at the very top of my class. And I had someone say 3-2 and then an arrow towards DO. Wow. And I thought that that was, you know, just kind of rude. Did they list their qualifications? Or are, they, are they like in an MD-PhD program right now? No. And their their little icon is just an emoji. Yeah. The critics are never real. I'll say that much. So sounds like they might have a little bit of jealousy issue. I do think that they lost or missed the point of that first episode, which is that people from a lot of different backgrounds, academically, et cetera, have a great opportunity if they're passionate and interested in medicine to pursue medicine. And, and I think that's kind of what your podcast is helping people with. And, you know, what's more important in an absolute sense, your college GPA or maybe what you decided to major in or something like that, or your passion for medicine and your ability to come in and through your enthusiasm and embracing authentic learning and really loving what you do, excel and take care of people. You know, a lot of us don't discover what we really are interested in doing or want to do until we're given the opportunity to do it. So that may say more about your choice of major in undergrad True. That it, it says anything else. And and that person has a very, I think, narrow view of the world uh, yeah. and, and of themselves. They probably don't really understand themselves, let alone uh, a stranger that they cared to comment about on the Internet. So we'd all be better off with fewer of those people. I agree. And then the one right before it says, makes sense you're a DO. No disrespect, but people only apply to DO because they couldn't get into an MD school. And that's just sheer ignorance. So that's that's interesting. You know, this reminded me this week there was a, a an article that 
I was talking about a lot of the big name med schools in the country dropping the U.S. News and World Report stuff, which is interesting to a lot of med students. U.S. News and World Report will sell you, I think it's like 30 bucks. They'll sell you a report of all of America's medical schools ranked from one to whatever, however they they do that. And they sell this to potential ap- matriculants and applicants for 30 bucks to make money. It's how they make their money. And a lot of med schools are finally like, we're not going to give you data anymore, U.S. News and World Report. We're not going to participate in it for a variety of reasons, but one of which is it's all bogus. Like it's all gamified. They have an algorithm. They've decided what's important for them. And everybody figures out the algorithm. The schools that are interested in this and that place well in the U.S. News rankings then go and hire a consultant who typically charges a good six figures a year, and they help them gamify, if you will, the different metrics in their school just to do well on the arbitrary things that U.S. News and World Report has maybe decided are important to them. And this is really tough. It's always hard in med schools to understand like what things really matter when you matriculate. Is it MCAT scores? Which section of the MCAT is most important to determining how well you do long term? Hint, it's probably the verbal reasoning portion because we're just looking for people who can read and, and understand material and are teachable. So that's what you're trying to trying to understand from the undergraduate stuff is, are you a teachable person? And I suspect the person that made those comments might not be that teachable. They, they might need to be knocked down a little bit in life before they succeed in life. Um, so you're not looking for people like that or who have that kind of arrogance. Typically in a medical school, you're looking for somebody who's ready to work hard and who has the skill set to learn and and do that. But people have gamified this and even the very top schools have learned that it's not worth spending a few hundred thousand dollars a year basically on consultants and trickery to increase your US news and world report rank a couple of uh, positions. But you know that may be shocking to people who are looking at medical schools to realize like how do you decide is Harvard better than Yale, better than Brown, better than Cornell, better than Vanderbilt better than Washington U and St. Louis or or things like that. Like, how do you rank these schools? And the truth is the rankings probably have more to do, like you need to decide your own individual idea about what they are. We talked a little bit about this in that first episode, but where do you want to live? What kind of school size do you need? What kind of student teacher ratio? What's your preferred learning style? What sort of specialty are you interested in going in? And none of those U.S. News and World Report ideas give you, reports give you any idea for those sorts of things or, or what will be a good fit for you. What culture are you looking for? What kind of teachers and style of teaching are you looking for? Those are things that you just don't get in one of those reports. And I'm glad to see that a lot of medical schools are getting away from it because, frankly, that kind of information was bogus. But I bet your commentator that made that ugly comment probably puts way too much stock in in those sorts of reports that are just gamified to begin with. Yeah, I think that this is just exactly the toxic environment that a lot of pre-meds and high schoolers are kind of bred into is this, you know, you have to be the best of the best. You have to be perfect on everything in order to get the best of the best. And then once you're at the best school, you have to do your best there. And it's all about titles. It's all about elitism instead of breeding people to just do what's right for them and finding their right fit in the world, they're just going for the gold instead of maybe the silver was actually what you what you wanted. And actually get rid of that yeah. whole analogy because honestly, like they're not gold, silver, and bronze. 
their paths X, Y, and Z, and they're not ranked in any order, there's one path that's going to be right for somebody else that might not be right for you. And this whole idea that things are better than other things and that you should go for the best takes away from individual rights that you should have as a pre-med to make decisions for yourself. I'll tell you one of the things, and, and I did go obviously to an allopathic school, I'm an MD, but one of the things that I thought a lot about when choosing my school over many other schools, and, and I'm one of those people, as we hinted at before on the the first episode, I could have gone to medical school pretty much anywhere I wanted to and probably made a choice. I, I know for sure I made a choice that a lot of people who had an opportunity to give me advice thought wasn't the best one, that I could have gone to a better MD school or why didn't I do that? And so, you know, what kinds of things were important to me there? Well, cost. So I, I chose a cheaper school than a lot of the Ivy League options or things like that, out-of-state options and things like that. And, you know, going to end up in OBGYN one way or the other, right? So it didn't. I don't need to spend twice or three times as much for my education just to have a certain piece of paper hanging on the wall instead of another one. But one of the big things that I remember talking to a lot of people about was the level of competitiveness of some of these other schools. So at my school, I'm not saying that it's perfect or that there was never any competition, but we helped each other. We created study guides for each other. If we if we knew if someone was sick or out, we helped that person get caught up. We had a great sense of community. It was a smaller school with a smaller number of students. And we didn't compete with each other. And, and I know stories at some of the schools that people would say are better schools where people are so into that attitude that you're talking about that they would steal practice tests out of the community room so that they could see them, but other students wouldn't get to, or they would even distribute false study guides, like deliberate sabotage to try to hurt other students because they were so competitive to be AOA or to have whatever class rank they so believed into that. And wow, I really don't want to be around people like that. I, I suspect they're the kind of people who would make comments like that. He read to us a second ago, fighting over every little tenth of a point and every little every little opportunity for class rank, even to the detriment of other people. So I would much rather be in a community of people who, uh, who are a community, who help each other, who help each other succeed. I want everybody to succeed. And, and I will say about my med school class, our culture, we, we actually, in the first month or so of school, we made a pact with each other that everyone's going to graduate. Everybody was going to pass step one, step two. That was our goal is that everybody succeeded in whatever that took. And and that happened at a smaller school that's maybe not, you know, top whatever in the U.S. News and World Report. But we're all good doctors who graduated from there. And, and the proof's in the pudding, you know, many years later. Yeah. And even at bigger schools, my class size is well above 200 at this point. But having... Even my my smaller group within my school, I never experienced any kind of toxicity. It was always, I'll share my Anki cards if you share your study guides, like even if you don't share, you know, like, oh, I heard that you have a cool study guide. Can you send it to me? Of course. And it was always like really good info. So at the end, everybody was just giving out these amazing study guides. And at that point, we all got better at not only learning the material, but also teaching each other at the same yeah. time. Which is an incredibly valuable tool that you'll carry on in residency. And, and you'll learn more by teaching others, especially in residency, than you'll ever learn 
by what med school, you know, you happen to go to and, and that sort of thing. And, and that's a lifelong habit that you'll carry with you as an attending. And I bet you if we had a way, a reliable way of ranking, you know, vis-a-vis, vis-a-vis U.S. News and World Report, schools based upon those things like sense of community, sense of working together, humbleness, hunger, you know, like a wanting to succeed and help others succeed and things like that. I'll guarantee you that that list is almost flipped upside down, you know, in terms of the traditional list. And, and, and from that, I just think that you're going to have a lot more, I don't know, I call them ethical actors, you know, physicians who've graduated, they're humble in their approach. They're always learning. They know what they don't know, as opposed to their commentator on your uh, post there. And, uh, and they're always learning and eager and wanting to help people. And they're just doing, they're much more likely to be doing medicine for the right motivations, not this, uh, I don't know. I don't know what motivated someone to speak that ugly. I have another really funny one though. Um, and you kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier about maybe grade inflation going on in medical school. And actually most medical schools have done away with traditional Grades. grading. Yeah, yeah. They've gone to pass fail or pass with honors, etc., which is fine. Well, grade inflation, it is a thing. It's a real thing. I had this uh, professor in uh, undergraduate. She went to the university of Athens and apparently grade inflation does not exist at the university of Athens. And she would tell us that C's were for average students, C pluses for good students, B's for the best student that you see all year, B plus for the brightest students ever, and an A was for the gods. But, you know, that that's uh, emotionally that sounds like, hey, yeah, I'd like to go there and compete or whatever. But in reality, when you have people trying to apply to residencies, every medical school in the country has has kind of just decided that we can't handicap people. We can't uh, hit them in the knees of the baseball bat by giving them a C on a clinical rotation or, or that sort of thing. So I would say, first of all, that great inflation exists at every single medical school. And, and probably most undergraduate schools in the United States. That's just common. So if they think that they went to a school that didn't have some degree of grade inflation, they've never seen a bell-shaped curve. But yes, you're right about what you said about pass-fail. And I'll say that early in my academic career, I was kind of against pass-fail, like for steps and and also for, for grades, because how do we then decide like who 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 what students are in the top 10%, what students you know, how do we segregate the the top from the bottom if we don't have grades? How do we do that? Yeah. And and so over time, though, I, what I learned and 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 was mentored uh, to understand, and I, and I'll give credit, Dr. Reed Blackwelder, I think, is the person who really changed my mind about this over many years, was that what we're trying to do with medical students is teach competency. And I need you, I need everyone who graduates from medical school to be competent at the end of it. I, I don't need anybody not competent. And competency comes in different speeds for different people. And so ultimately, when I say you've passed, what I'm saying is you're competent. You're ready for the next step. You're ready for residency. You're, you're, you're ready for graduation. You're ready for whatever is next. And if, you, if you're not, then you haven't passed yet. And it might take some people a little bit longer to become competent. But ultimately, if you become competent, you're competent. And right. if you don't become competent, you're not. And grades are almost a slap in the face of that. If you make a 70 on something and you've passed, is it, do you want a doctor who knows 70% of anatomy or 70% of physiology or 70% of whatever? 
I made a 70 in surgery and I'm going to do your surgery today. No, you want somebody who's competent. So I come to understand over time that pass-fail systems are really the only fair way of doing that mm-hmm. because I, I can design a system. If I'm doing my work correctly, I can design a system that says you are competent for the next step or you're not. And if you're not, that's okay too. We're going to get you there. Like maybe you need some remediation. Maybe you just didn't get it the first time around, but ultimately the goal is for everybody to get there, eventually get there and and be competent. And grades don't do that. What grades do do is encourage all of that kind of hyper-competitive nonsense that leads to stealing practice tests out of the break room uh, and, and, you know, sabotaging your classmates for a letter grade. Uh, not telling them about what the attending said for them to do so that they look bad and get it, you know, like that stuff really happens at these hyper-competitive schools. And so, yeah, okay, well, you made a 91, but I wanted somebody who was 100% competent. So I I truly believe that that pass-fail type systems and moving to pass-fail even on steps is the way. Now it creates a new problem about how do we know which students are, you know, better for different things. But I know, I know that, you know, like, I, yeah. I know I, I told you on the first episode that you're one of the best med students that I've ever worked with. I could probably even come up with a rank out of a thousand or so medical students if I sat down and thought about it. Like I know who the good students are and who the not so hot ones are. Um, it, but my goal is just that everybody is competent to take care of patients at the end of the day. And people need different things and different environments to get there. Right. The thing that gets me going back to pass fail versus traditional grading is the movement of these pass-fail systems to a pass-fail with honors or a pass-fail with Excel. And at that point, it's just a convoluted way of grading someone. Just a grade, yeah. So why not just have normal grades? Yeah, and th- and that's people trying to figure out like who should be AOA. I know that's an allopathic thing, but but who who should get those honors? Who should do that? That's just a way of doing that. And I, And I think that the faculty can... I mean, there are other ways that's beyond the, 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 the conversation here, but, but grades just aren't it. Like when you mm-hmm. have an environment where a student is going back and arguing with, in one student maybe, right? They go back and they argue with the professor over a physiology exam question that they got wrong and that most yeah. people got right, but they want that point and they're researching it and finding obscure arcane text to argue that this is why they answered that question that way. That is not a good habit to be teaching I agree. Oh my gosh. But grades, grades contribute to that, you know? Yeah. It really does contribute to that toxic environment. And it's almost like a herd mentality too. Now that we have things like WhatsApp and like these giant discussion boards where one person, like you said, starts to argue about a physiology question. And then you've got the whole class behind that physiology question and it's almost like bullying their professor into changing the answer. Yeah. And they miss the whole point. And, and that's what I mean by those people are almost unteachable. Like recognize that you missed the question, learn the lesson, correct your thought and move on. Yeah. And in a pass fail world, you're more likely to do that because it's like, hey, this isn't hurt me in any big way. Now let's talk about why that question, why my thought process was wrong. Okay. No, I get it. That's right. Rather than searching PubMed for some obscure reason why you might be right or the professor might have poorly written the question just because you're fighting for every tenth of a point to separate yourself for some perceived honor. Yeah, exactly. The other thing it was, you know, well, I was going to say implicit, but I guess it was explicit in some of those comments was the idea of, you know, this DO versus MD 
constant fight that, you know, I, I, I'll say it does have some historical, I mean, there's reasons if we go back to 1960, where if you were, you know, looking at things in 1960, you could draw a sharp contrast, I think, between osteopathic and allopathic schools. But I don't know if you noticed, but it's not 1960. I did notice. <laughs> there's well, Your commentator did not. Uh, right. But, but there's just such a difference now. And so that kind of arrogance and hubris that the person expressed in that comment really is, is just, is just uneducated. It, it's just, uh, you know, haters going to hate, I guess, but schools today have standardized curricula, uh, very largely to the point where it's hard to tell the difference between the basic science education of an osteopathic school and an allopathic school, except that osteopathic schools have a little something extra in them. Right. That's a different conversation about OMT and things like that. But, but frankly, it's not like they took something away from traditional allopathic uh, training to add in the necessary credit hours to also talk about osteopathic manipulation techniques and things like that. So they're not lacking for something in the curriculum. And we've unified the residency programs, right? I mean, everybody's yeah. going to a same place. We have unified criteria. We don't always have unified medical boards or whatever. There's, you know, osteopathic boards and medical boards in the States, but the criteria and the levels and of accreditation for both residencies and for licensure on the state level, they're identical. Like they're not different. So if you can't meet them, whether you're a MD or a DO, then you're not a practicing doctor and you don't get into residency. And if you can meet them, whether you're an MD or a DO, you get into residency and you become a licensed physician. So I would challenge that commentator to produce a scientific article that shows that patients treated by an osteopathic physician versus a traditional allopathic physician have different outcomes, things like that. People end up where they need to end up. He might make a comment about osteopathic schools produce more primary care physicians than do allopathic schools as a percentage. But I'll tell you, when I was working at an allopathic school, what we desperately were working at every year was to try to figure out a way to produce more primary care physicians because there's a incredible shortage of primary care physicians in the United States. And if anything, osteopathic schools do a better job of producing what we actually need in our society right now. But there's a huge overlap, you know, like to just say that MD is better than DO in some arbitrary sense is the most ignorant and stupid thing a person could say. MD schools, you know, there's lots of island schools where, boy, I don't think they have admission criteria. Uh, their clinical training is... Uh, way below anything that's acceptable. And their residency matriculation rates a lot of times are not better than 40 or 50%. And they cost half a million dollars to go there. I mean, so does mine, but yeah. Well, I know, but but I'm just saying like, there's no value anywhere around. You still have MD after your name. And for that person to think that every single DO school in the United States is not an order of magnitude better than those schools is just absurd. Yet, if he saw one of those docs with MD after their name, he wouldn't know the difference probably, right? He literally wouldn't. That's that's a great point. I mean, not to bash on Caribbean schools. It's a pathway. It's a pathway. It's a pathway. It's pathway X, Y, or Z. But he literally wouldn't know the difference because they're not labeled USIMG when they're your doctor, whereas right. DOs are compared to MDs. Well, and even among international medical graduates, let's not... Let's not throw all those together either. There are, 
There are students uh, who go to schools in India that are some of the best schools. They come in very well prepared, way better than uh, St. George's or whatever. Oh, I know. And I was talking to one of my friends about that who's a non-US IMG. And it's just, it's wild because they need all this additional paperwork and they have to literally be the top 5% of their, in their graduates country. in their country in order yeah. to even have a shot at coming to the U.S. Yeah. But, but even among like, you know, mainland, you know, on the uh, in the continental United States medical and osteopathic schools, let's be honest, there's a huge range and cultural perception of the quality of education in I know that Philadelphia College of Medicine, of Osteopathic Medicine, for example, is one of the older and incredibly well-respected. There are people in the Northeast in those communities who deliberately see DOs rather than MDs because of the reputation of some of those schools. You know, so like judge judge the judge people by the people, uh, and not necessarily by the pathway that they took to become a board-certified licensed physician. You know, so. I would say that I don't have a specific ranking in mind, but I would just put out there that the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine is probably better than a good half to two thirds of the MD schools in the United States. I don't, I don't know specifically. Maybe someone can make a comment about that. And, and conversely, there's medical schools that are clearly better than some of the osteopathic schools. Like they're, they're interlaced. They're in there. They're all ranked in together. And a lot of the differences between the top 20th decile and the bottom 20th decile, when you look at board pass rates, residency metric matriculation rates, MCAT scores for admission and things like that, they're within the margin of statistical error. Like you can throw a blanket over the middle 60% of schools, mixed DO and MD schools together. And, um, you know, and then at the other end, like even defining the top 20%, in the past has historically been left to U.S. News and World Report. And good news, we don't care about them anymore. Yep, they no longer run our lives. And I think that there's something to be said about the people that are judging my GPA on the internet, like from undergrad. I was 18 years old when I almost failed calculus and I f had to withdraw from chem. I'm sorry, but you are basically judging a child. Yeah. None of that like is any indicator of who I am at this moment. Well, you talk about just ignorance about, you know, comparisons and things like that. So if you look at people's undergraduates, what school are we talking about? Is a 3.2 at your university better than a 3.8 at, just going to throw this out here, University of Phoenix? Oh, yeah. And that was actually a couple of comments stated like a 3-2 at University of Florida. These people have no idea. That's like a 4.0 at most universities. Yeah. And I have to agree. And I'm not even a Gator. Uh, I went to the University of Tennessee, which is the greatest institution of higher learning in Tennessee, but uh, except for Vanderbilt. But no, just joking. Just joking. We're a basketball school now. Oh, my um, gosh. No, not you guys <laughs> were beat by Florida literally like last week. <laughs> It's okay. We're going to be ranked number one next week. Um, but then even beyond the school, and I'm just showing the difficulty of comparisons, even beyond the school, what majors are we talking about? Things like that. So, you know, even within the same school, a student who took an incredibly hardcore, they, they studied physical chemistry and they made a 3.2. And the next person studied, I'm not knocking it, but they studied psychology and have a 4.0. I don't know. I think the PCHEM guy probably has it going on, you know? So yeah. 
those sorts of comparisons. And that's why an application to medical school is a complete person, a complete package. Right. It's not where you come from. It's what you're doing now. It's how you've gotten there. It's the lessons you've learned from when you fell down and things like that. And a lot of people need to be need to fail to become a mature person who knows how to succeed. I agree. And that's what I wrote about on my med school application was that, you know, my first year at the University of Florida knocked me on my butt and I yeah. had to literally crawl my way out of a very dark hole. Well, and some of those hateful comments you've gotten, I'm afraid those people still have failure in front of them before they become socially conscious, acceptable adults. So. Yeah. And what, what I didn't write on that post was that just to go back to, you know, hard majors versus not hard majors, or maybe a little bit easier majors was that sure. My GPA was a three, two, but my science GPA was actually like a three, four, five. So I actually like did worse in the classes, like cities of the world and history of jazz <laughs> than yeah. I did in my orgo classes partially because I just wasn't as invested. I didn't have that motivation. And so I slacked off and I didn't attend some exams or I missed discussion board posts because they seemed very trivial to me as I'm pursuing a career in medicine. The good news about jazz is you can still learn. I'll help you. <laughs> I had a preceptor last week give me a CD. You can be, you can be a whole person. Yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah, we can help you with the history of jazz. If someone would like to respond to this episode with suggestions of great jazz cuts, that yep. will be useful and helpful. Well, great. I'm proud of you. And um, haters are going to hate. As, uh, you, if, you, if people don't dislike what you're doing, you're not doing enough. So Ooh, I love that. Good for them. Just wrapping up. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at dear.do.pod and leave me all of the comments, mostly positive, please. You can check out my official website, deardopod.com, for blog posts, guides, and you can submit all your questions about medical school, residency, all of the things. And you can support the continuation of this podcast by leaving a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Original music by Cologne and recording and production by yours truly 